there is a lot of frustration there are a lot of angst and frustration around the fact that so much money has been invested in like hiring data scientists hiring getting new tools getting new you know doing all kinds of fancy POCs and I think we're definitely at that point in that hype cycle where people are done people are done with the BS uh, and, and if I had to you know be very upfront about it it is a load of uh, I think BS that people have been seeing and it's a question of the classic hype cycle right everybody's buying into the hype you know hope um, and now we're seeing you know all of that you know uh, kind of fading away given the state of things and people sitting up and going okay you know what is it do I really need and how do I make some of these decisions around what kind of AI to buy so we're seeing a significant shift Hi welcome to Forbes India's the daily tech conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs CXOs and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on India I'm Hariyarakli and in this episode Ashwini Asokan co-founder and CEO of Mad Street 10 talks about how businesses are frustrated with tall claims about AI Mad Street 10 is a silicon valley and chennai based software company offering AI products that help customers organize and stitch together their data and extract useful information on the other hand there is an uproar of demand for products that offer tangible returns on AI investments she says The current macroeconomic business environment however is tough with many imposing caps on SaaS spending. Ashwini, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for making time for this. I've just come back from after 2 weeks of travel and you know everything is exploding on the calendar so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean why why don't we start with that itself? I mean I <laughs> two weeks of travel so in fact i was actually wondering you know waiting for you to join has travel gone back to pre covid levels uh, yeah yeah i mean uh, it's been actually just incredibly surprising i didn't expect this because obviously the market is melting down and uh, but uh-huh. um, it's been non stop i've traveled every single week of the last four weeks um uh-huh. and uh, it's it doesn't look like it's and if you take the overall team as well <clears throat> the team has been traveling for about uh, i would say easily 12 weeks like 3 months now and it's um, um we are actually running into the problem of not having enough people to go to enough places uh, you know so the team has been between all of us i think i would say between a group of about 15 of us we have been in amsterdam we've been in new york we've been in uh, uh, san diego we've been in uh, vegas we've been in saudi dubai um uh, cape town south africa um and the multiple places in india bombay uh, delhi all of this has happened in the last like uh, you know um, almost 10 weeks now so uh, to say that there is i, I feel like travel is worse than pre covid uh, <laughs> stage for us right now um i think the thankful part of it for me of course is uh, pre covid the team was small enough that you know i had to do all the traveling now that the team mm. is big enough that i'm able to share that burden um mm. it doesn't necessarily seem to have reduced the amount of travel i do but uh, <laughs> it could have gotten worse given the scale so now i get to share that burden so yeah mm. i'm just thinking who is offering you your expense management software saas software must be totally cheering you and your customers <laughs> unless you built that in house 
No, no, we haven't. We don't actually. We do it all manually uh, okay. for a hard part of it. I mean, the org is not that big. You know, I mean, you mm. learn to have good processes in place. Uh, mm. You know, with three hundred, three fifty people managing it is not that bad because it's not like all three hundred people are traveling, right? It's usually the same twenty people that are traveling in multiple places, twenty, thirty people. So. We're not yet at a point where you know, and and uh, like with every other company in the market, SaaS spend is completely been capped at MSD. So, <laughs> so. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, a couple of keywords really jumped out uh, to me. You said you started out saying the market's melting down, and you just said uh, SaaS cap really the expense has been capped. So, what are your customers telling you? What's the sentiment like uh, through your travels? You know, we're seeing a, a couple of different things going on. I would say, uh, in a sense, I would say it's very similar to what happened during uh, the pandemic uh, time as well, right? Where in certain sectors, not everywhere, but uh, but now we're seeing it everywhere, as opposed to impact of COVID that was very specific to specific sectors that were largely mm. offline. I would say now we're seeing it pretty much uh, everywhere, and those two three trends I'm seeing one. Um, there's a definite consolidation happening in the market, right? Um, winners are becoming bigger than ever before and losers are essentially shutting down, right? So mm. this is a, a very binary outcome we're beginning to see in the markets, like fairly straightforward that we're seeing that uh, that kind of split up. Um, mm. More, more uh, um, and it's just a question of who gets to survive and who doesn't, right? And uh, interestingly, as a consequence of this, or, or rather, who are these people who are winning? Who are the ones losing? And, and I think this is a bit of a no-brainer if you actually sit down and think is a lot of old money, old businesses that were steady state generating cash were not necessarily growing very well, right? And uh, were not showing massive potential uh, to get to the other side just yet. Those guys are interestingly the last ones standing, right? And uh, Obviously, because financially sound businesses that weren't necessarily growing wildly uh, mm. um, and were not definitely under any, you know, VC funded pressure of any kind, right? Like mm. your classic old, well, large scale enterprise businesses are continuing. And now, interestingly, coming out of, uh, you know, the madness of the last few years into now, it feels like they're now investing in technology growth. Right. So there's a lot of money that's available with a lot of companies, very large enterprise companies to invest in that change and that transformation and becoming digital or AI, AI native. Right. So that transformation we're seeing. Um, on the other hand, we're seeing newer companies, uh, anything that has come up in the last 10, 15 years, uh, struggling for sure. Uh, struggling because cash fundamentals, financial fundamentals seem definitely questionable. Um, and, you know, there is a, a renewed effort to kind of, you know, uh, cut costs and become more lean and mean and try to kind of get out of this cash crunch because there's no money available anywhere. So then you have to be the only one dependent on your own money to be able to, you know, uh, sustain. And so there are massive cuts happening everywhere, right? So it feels like two types of companies. And of course, those that can't survive even with the cut, um, then, you know, shut shop. And so we're seeing that kind of consolidation happen like pretty extensively. Uh, the second trend is we're seeing and, uh, you know, finally, I think for the last 10, 15 years, everybody has been talking about digital transformation, everything digital, everything online, all of that has been spoken about. But 
most of the investments that you were seeing were with the newer age companies, right? The companies that were, you know, VC funded or, you know, kind of definitely much more digital first, digital native companies, newer companies of the last 10 years that were that were heavily digital. And, the you know, you didn't see so much of the old world money really uh, kind of expanding into that space. It was very slow. And now we're beginning to see kind of renewed activity in that segment, right? Very, very old school, large enterprises, finance businesses, very old world insurance, banking, uh, healthcare, companies that pharma, companies that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, expect to become technologically savvy overnight. All of them are starting kind of a massive kind of expansion into um, uh, all things digital. So we're seeing a bit of a, a, a loosening up of spending in certain other segments that are now sitting up and going, okay, now that everything else is down, it's kind of a good time to kind of, you know, um, uh, start. There's also talent, uh, which brings me to the third point, which is all things talent, right? Mm. Um, talent was not available in abundance up until recently, mainly because the newer companies were sapping everybody up, Right. And uh, honestly speaking, running everyone ragged, right? Uh, to sustain that kind of scale, um, you know, all of us work at uh, schedules and times that are not necessarily sustainable in the long run. And I think what you're seeing now is there's a complete change in that talent market and the who's interested, who wants to work, who doesn't want to work, availability of talent, cost of talent. All of that suddenly has, I think, changed enough that uh, you know, some of the consolidated winners are slowly finding a way back to become competitive on the talent side as well. Mm. Okay, really uh, insightful snapshot in a, just a couple of minutes. In this backdrop, uh, what are your customers asking you, Mad Street Den, in terms of any urgent features that they want from your products, capabilities, and so on? The, from an AI perspective, I would say, you know, again, we're seeing a couple of changes uh, in in what is being demanded of us. Um, the first thing that, that we're seeing a demand is, uh, you know, people are very interested in the idea of um, a solution that is bringing all of the company's data together. Right. I think companies have spent and you should see some of these numbers now, Hari, in, uh, in, 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 in AI in specific. Companies have spent between 40 and 50 million dollars in just proof of concepts over the last five to 10 years with AI, right? Oh. That number is for large enterprises. Smaller enterprises are looking at, you know, no different one to 10 million, which is broadly, you know, in line with the scale of these companies. And there is a lot of frustration. There are a lot of angst and frustration around the fact that so much money has been invested in like hiring data scientists, hiring, getting new tools, getting new you know, doing all kinds of fancy POCs. And I think we're definitely at that point in that hype cycle where people are done. People are done with the BS. Uh, and, and if I had to, you know, be very upfront about it, it is a load of, uh, I think, BS that people have been seeing. And it's a question of the classic hype cycle, right? Everybody's buying into the hype, you know, hope. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, all of that, you know, uh, kind of fading away given the state of things and people sitting up and going, okay, you know, what is it do I really need? And how do I make some of these decisions around what kind of AI to buy? So we're seeing a significant shift in, you know, oh, we know what to do. We are already doing all of this to like a massive kind of demand for MSD in terms of, hey, we're having all of these problems. We've tried all of these things before and it's not worked. Um, but we now see, I think with MSD in particular, we offer solutions that allow that end to end 
you know, stitching together of data so that you can build any application on it, right? You should not be delimited by what kind of AI applications you should build as a company. Um, and if you have solid data that's stitched together across all departments, any AI application should take no less than, no more than 30 days to spin up, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If you look at the state of things today in the market, companies take anywhere between six to 12 months to go live with a single AI application, right? And with blocks for us and with our uh, retail vertical view.ai specifically across the board, I would say we're seeing, you know, the ability to go live in less than 30 days. And the reason that's possible is like, hey, stitch your data, get it all ready, get it. And, and we do that for everyone, right? There's a bit of that whole, I'm done with it, right? We're seeing a bit of that. And, we're, and the demand coming through for like, Okay, help me understand how we can do this in under 30 days. Help me understand how I can do this in under 60 days. So there's a bit of that frustration and demand kind of coming through. That's one thing that we've seen in the market. Um, second thing I would say is the sectors from where we're getting this kind of demand. I would say, you know, healthcare pharma is one, one uh, unit that is just exploding for us. Uh, the other big unit is finance and insurance. The third one is, of course, retail, right? So, um, in the company, we have a like a pretty massive focus in these three kind of uh, what we call pivotal verticals uh, for us. And we're seeing uh, uh, an uproar of demand across the board within these three, right? And everybody's sitting up and going, okay. And, and, and which brings me to the third thing, which what types of applications are we seeing in demand? And I would say the first thing, anything to do with cost cutting, they're coming to us, right? Like now that oh. you've stitched all my data and you've been live with a few applications now, help me cut costs across the company, right? And it's where all, and so a huge, we see ourselves as advisors, Harry. We see ourselves as AI advisors to, and, you know, to the company that we, companies that we work with, the customers that we work with, because we're not limited when you have an AI platform that can, optimize, that can increase revenue, that can cut costs, that can automate your functions, that can deal with video, image, or text. Basically, that whole uh, promise that we are building a generalizable intelligence platform that allows you to consume AI in a much more wide manner across the company, that promise for us is finally coming alive, right? And this basically means helping them power applications that cut costs, that uh, uh, there's definitely a dip in this need for growing revenue, I would say applications that help them optimize workflows, you know, automate my invoicing processes, automate my claims processing processes, um, automate my, you know, um, so there's a lot of renewed focus on that, right? Like help me cut costs. Like we've been doing this across 20 steps, 30 steps, and it's taking us six months to do this. Do this in 30 days, so reduce my time, but also reduce my cost of doing it, right? So this this is any application that falls into this bucket. Like we've had a, a massive inbound demand for companies asking me to cut costs on the marketing side, right? Help me optimize my lead generation, right? Like I'm spending so much money across Facebook, Google, and everyone. I want to cut it by a third. I want to cut it by a by a half, right? Like help me do that by helping me identify the highest potential kind of conversion. So huge renewed effort to to basically cut costs everywhere. Mm. Okay, uh, so um, I think good time to ask you to kind of for listeners who may not know about your work, just give us a one minute sort of snapshot of Mass Street Den, uh, sort of a big picture overview of your company and your work. Sure. So Mass Street Den from day zero, um, you know, we've been, our goal was to basically build a much more generalizable uh, form of intelligence, right? One where 
Um, the specific application itself is irrelevant. The more important thing that we're trying to achieve is to tell every organization that you need to have a unified data platform which connects your inventory data, your content data, your customer data, bring it all together. And you need an AI engine that, you know, is basically and millions of models, right? Almost think of it as a private marketplace of models that are there on this platform. And you have AI sitting on top that's making the decision on what model gets deployed where, right? So you don't need humans in the loop. You don't need people that are sitting and making decisions on which model gets built and deployed where for what application. What we are building is this kind of much more generalizable approach to intelligence that allows companies to do three really big things, right? The first thing is cleaning up all their data, organizing their data, and making sure that it's available for any kind of use case. We automate that entire thing using AI. The second thing we do is provide end-to-end -end customer experience, right? Which is basically automating all kinds of experiences that customers have on your systems. Now, this is only doable if you truly understand the data, right? If you're doing any customer experience journeys or personalization without really understanding the data, which is the first pillar, then it's broadly pointless. And the third one is we automate processes and we automate workflows. So we do three things for every business that we believe is very, very crucial to running any business. This doesn't have to be any particular type of business. Every business has inventory to sell, customers to please, and processes. And we have AI that does all of these three things without needing a huge amount of investment in teams or people to be able to power these applications. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've also recently announced an acquisition, and uh, I'm kind of segueing into this because you know, I started out with retail and in the context of uh, the more general version of the AI that you're looking to build, I was wondering if uh, the diversification into healthcare or rather the expansion into healthcare and finance uh, along with retail that you're already well known for, is that a reflection of, you know, some success in terms of building this general AI? And now uh, I'm curious about the direction in which the company is evolving because you've announced this acquisition. Maybe you can sort of talk about all of that. Yeah, yeah. So our push to be becoming horizontal was very, very consciously done, right? Like for us, this whole vision for general platform means being across industries, handling many different types of media, um, and a very, very wide range of applications which don't necessarily have a lot of limitation. Or and it, and it all sounds like too good to be true, but this is our north pole, right? And this is this is our our north star, our our, our vision to which that we're we're you know that we're all running towards. And so this horizontal expansion is very key to us. And the way that the company is heading is we're creating these PNLs around healthcare, uh, pharma, around finance and um, uh, insurance and around retail. And we're building each of these businesses. Now, retail will forever be our first love just because the company started its journey there. And so it's it only makes sense for us that, you know, we're able to replicate that kind of success we've had in retail across other other verticals as well. Right now, we see this as a playbook. We've developed a playbook for one vertical. We know how to deploy an AI stack into a vertical. Now we're basically replicating that playbook. And the biggest thing we need as we go across domains is basically subject matter expertise. Right. So we have, we've hired you know, pretty strong subject matter experts across these industries to kind of guide us. And we have a pretty fantastic advisory board that we're onboarding as well within each of these verticals to kind of help us grow inside these verticals. So our strategy of growing horizontal is just learning to do, you know, applying what we already have learned in one vertical over and over again across the other verticals, right? So that is the company strategy. 
That said, this particular acquisition, so View.ai and our MathStreetDen, um, you know, um, in cooperation, we basically just acquired uh, this company Intern, um, uh, which is an excess inventory management uh, SaaS uh, software. And, uh, you know, basically the strategy here is not just about going broad. We also have to continue to build out our verticals, right? So retail continues to be strong. Uh, while we kind of bootstrap and get our healthcare, pharma and finance insurance, you know, verticals up and running. So there is a, you know, doubling down on the vertical we're doing very well while simultaneously kind of expanding and repeating that playbook across verticals. Is this your first acquisition or at least the ones that you've announced publicly? It is our first acquisition, actually, announced or not. <laughs> it mm. is our first um, it was a bit of a serendipitous, you know, kind of uh, discovery. Someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone and the news just, you know, so much of the way startups function is about the power of the network. Um, mm. And I don't think we can discount that and, and the network deserves its due. Um, we speak about, we say so many horrible things about this VC funded uh, network and, and all the awful things we read in the news. We rarely take the time to acknowledge you know, the good things that come out of it. And I want to point out that, you know, networks are an amazing and an absolutely amazing thing that the startup world does for people, right? It, it opens up opportunities, connects you to people you would have never connected otherwise. And, uh, you know, our acquisition here is one such one where uh, when we stumbled across the deal, we learned more about it. And it was in the space of inventory management and demand forecasting, which is what our AI does already, Right. And uh, what we needed was a company that is, you know, it's almost like a SaaS product, right? It has a front end. It is an application where sellers and buyers come together, which is basically brands and multi-brand retailers come together. And you're automating work that is broadly done in Excel sheets. And this is where, Hari, the whole automation play kind of the two themes of automation as well as our vertical play, where both those things kind of come together beautifully, right? Um, The intersection of those two things is something that I'm constantly interested in. How do you bring automation in and in, in the context of very specific applications and domains that we're pursuing? And uh, in turn was squarely, squarely in that space, right, of, of bringing those two together. So what is done by hundreds of people on Excel sheets today, you now have a software that's that's enabling buyers and sellers to negotiate, um, you know, excess inventory. And, you know, you should hear Ronan, who is the who um, um, the CEO and the founder of Intern speak where he says, you know, uh, excess inventory is always treated as like nobody wants to discuss it. It's a dirty problem, right? Like people only want to yeah. talk about the lovely things, right? The growth, the 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 new marketing thing you're going to do, or the VR, you know, display you have here, or the pop up stores. Everybody wants to talk about the next flashy thing. Nobody wants to talk about these ugly problems of business. But when you actually open up the books and show them how much money is there to be made with excess inventory, it gives one pause. It gives one pause and then makes them sit up and go, that's a lot of money, right? And so that is what really caught our attention with this acquisition. We we found that one, the product itself lent itself very well to the AI that we were already powering. If you treat our AI as being predictive, their automation software basically enables them to deal with excess inventory once the excess inventory builds up, right? And if you're tracking the market today, I mean, I don't want to name names, but stocks are going out of control purely because of excess inventory, 
right? Like companies are actively showing up and saying, you know, hey, this is how much excess inventory buildup we have and the market is really punishing us for it, right? And so mm-hmm. giving us a very, very timely, I would say, from an acquisition standpoint, this company and uh, what they do and they have an amazing amount of love from the, from, from the customers and it just felt like the right thing at the mm-hmm. right moment. Uh, in the retail sector, so is right. this uh, largely about uh, physical inventory uh, or is there also some kind of uh, a digital aspect to it as well? It's both. Um, it's not just physical, uh, but physical is the big part of it, right? Mm. Um, I mean, and this is funny because at View.ai, we largely deal with digital, right? We We deal with all things online. And then to go in and start to explore, you know, this whole world of offline, right, which is generally 80 to 90% of any business, any company anywhere in the world, digital, unless you're digital, uh, digitally native, right? Yeah, the majority, all old world, the, the more traditional retailers out there and brands out there, 80%, 85%, even 90%, I would say is all still offline, very much offline, right? And so... Uh, you know, most of this does deal with offline inventory, but now we become the system of record, right? We already have online data. Now we've got the offline data as well. So there are multiple angles to this play of, you know, truly being able to help these companies, these customers, these different brands kind of get to their fullest potential with our whole suite at this point. And and maybe I'm thinking a little bit uh, imaginatively or a little bit ahead, but possibly there's scope to uh, turn this partnership into something that can also offer your customers a, a sophisticated solution in the context of uh, climate change if you're managing excess inventory. Yeah, I mean, I know this is a huge mandate for everyone. Um, all things sustainable, everything feels like a massive, uh, massive, massive, I think, um, kind of agenda for everyone in the next five years. Uh, so, you know, we're already beginning to see small things show up, right? It doesn't have to be in a massive way, but um we already know what fast fashion and fast commerce has contributed right to in terms of this is a junk that we all live with around the world right and the massive landfills so yeah i think it would be fascinating to be able to kind of measure this at some point by reducing excess inventory and truly creating a different types of a type of circulation are we resulting in a in impact i i would say if there's a way to kind of measure this and i have a lot of friends in the climate tech space so perhaps it is a great idea to go back there and track it i i I think that could be a fascinating one all right you've not really at least from what i have checked you've not really talked about the size and scope of this deal uh can you give us a sense of that Uh, you already said automation so i'm thinking that's part of the intellectual property you're getting can you expand that and talk about talent access to customers uh, potential for growth for msd and so on Sure, sure. So, um, you know, it was a fairly large team and we had to structure it a little bit. Uh, the entire team was based out, is based out of New York for the most part. Um, a native to New York, the entire organization. And, uh, we kind of obviously onboarded, uh, a chunk of the team into, into MSD. Um, we are obviously also, you know, uh, integrating, starting to, you know, plan out integrating the intern product with the Vue.ai suite. So if you think of it as products are tagged with view tag, products are then pushed into different types of workflows. And then there's, you know, photo shoot and we automate that photo shoot. There's styling and curation, which we automate. And then there's like front end personalization and end to end customer journey. And then there's marketing kind of uh, automation. And with that whole suite, 
intern basically gets kind of, you know, um, are plugged in there as, you know, the ability to manage inventory after that life cycle is done, right? Um, and how do you help them dispose of excess inventory, deal with the off-price market and, and kind of automate all of that for the people in the buying and selling and merchandising departments. So it, it's, it's almost like a neat fit into that end-to-end story with their product. Um, so from a growth perspective for us, I would say we're looking to invest in, in this particular theme for in about two, two three manner, manners. One is, um, you know, we definitely expect to double down on taking this inventory management solution to our 100, 150 customers. That is top of our agenda. Um, uh, and, and, you know, showing them how it fits in that whole end to end promise, right? So that's a big one for us. The second one, of course, is to truly bring the power of excess inventory to all of retail. This is not just fashion, right? This is, this is, uh, FMCG. This is, this is all kinds of companies we're talking about, right? That deal with the same problem. So to be able to bring this, this, uh, clearly grow and show up this problem as something that can truly affect the bottom line, right? Like right now, at this point in time with the market behaving, there is always such a thing called timing hurry. And I think, you know, for us, the story of intern and their integration into view.ai is, is just all about timing, right? For us to be able to show up at the market at this point in time and say that, you know, here are all the gross margins that you're going to be affecting. Here's how much money you're going to be saving. Here's how much, you know, you, that, that's under the table are significantly going to impact, you know, the margins of the company. That is the argument we're going to be building up to over the next 12 to 24 months. Mm. And for MathStreet itself, would you now consider more acquisitions, maybe greater frequency, uh, assuming that you know this integration works out very well uh, to everyone's satisfaction? Um, yeah, I mean, there's no reason acquisitions are off the cards, uh, off the table at all. I, I would actually say that, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation, Harry, we literally started off with consolidations, right? Um, I very much see MSD's vision, you know, uh, to be able to grow across verticals, across use cases, across data types. And, you know, um, every time someone tells me this is an impossible feat, I think it just makes me get out of bed 10 times faster than I did the previous day. So, uh, yes, uh, all of it is on the cards. Give us a sense of your growth overall. You said there's an uproar of demand in specific areas, specific verticals. Overall, how are you growing this year? 2x, 3x versus last year or previously? And There's going to be a lot of news from us, Hari. Um, very quickly. <laughs> we have a lot more news to share. I'm going to leave it at that. A little bit of a cliffhanger here for you, unfortunately. But we're going to time it right. We have more news for you. Um, and, uh, you know, um, we are looking to grow. We're, we're pushing on that 150% year-over-year growth. That is kind of what we're really driving towards as we speak um, uh, at the minimum. So, uh, yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ashwini, uh, for making time for this. Definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Sounds great, Harry. Thank you for having me. That's it for this conversation. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.